You might not think that's true to listen to some politicians and social theorists talk today, but it is true. Words matter. With that in mind, I want to define a few words this morning before we get into the text of Amos 9. I'm sure your vocabulary is fine. I just want to make sure we touch on these words. The first word I want us to consider is the word justice. Justice is what we have when the consequences of a person's actions are fully and ethically consistent with those actions. When, when, when what they do deserves what they get, we have justice. And there really are three kinds of justice. There is punishment for evil deeds. There are rewards for good deeds. And, and the third kind of justice is that it's proportionate, that the rewards and the punishment fit the, the scale of the deeds. So that's justice. The second word is the flip side of the coin, injustice. And injustice, of course, is what we have when the consequences of a person's actions are morally and ethically inconsistent with those actions. Of course, that means there must be three kinds of injustice, right? There are good actions punished. That's injustice. There are evil actions rewarded. That's injustice. Or sometimes the reward or the punishment doesn't fit the scale of what is done. So that's injustice. So we have justice and injustice. They're two sides of the same coin. There is a standard for right and wrong. And then some, a judge looks at what someone does according to that standard and rewards or punishes. And if that's done rightly, we have justice. If it's done wrongly, we have injustice. But justice and injustice aren't actually the end of the story. They're not the end of the story, not for us. Because the Bible teaches us the judge can also show mercy and grace. The judge can show mercy and grace. Now, mercy is the situation where punishment is deserved, but it's withheld, not as an act of injustice, but an act of kindness. And grace, grace is where there is no reward that's deserved, but a reward is given. And it's not injustice, but it's kindness. Now that's kind of tricky, isn't it? Because after all I said about justice and injustice, don't mercy and grace kind of sound like injustice? Right? You're getting something you don't earn. But they're not. Because what the person gets is better. I mean, everybody in justice, everybody gets what they deserve, right? But in mercy and grace, some people get something better. And it's all because the judge shows that mercy and grace. Now, how that works out, well, the Bible spends a lot of time teaching us. And one of the places it teaches us how mercy and grace relate to justice and injustice is Amos chapter 9. Is Amos 9. Now, the first eight chapters of Amos, hard to believe we're on the last one. The first eight chapters of Amos focus on justice. Right? They focus on justice. God sends Amos from the southern kingdom of Judah to the northern kingdom of Israel to say that you've been practicing injustice... You have been practicing false worship. God is going to bring justice upon you in the form of judgment. The rich and powerful people had been unjust toward the citizens, stealing from the poor, violent toward them. 
Israel's religion was wicked and it was false. The people worshiped false gods through rituals led by fake priests in temples that God never endorsed. Even worse, when they went, they were really just putting on a show, hoping to get home soon so they could get back to business cheating the poor people. And into that context, God sent Amos to pronounce a word of justice, a word of judgment. And the word was this, Israel's going to be invaded. Many of them will be killed by the sword. Of those that survive, the, they'll be drug off into captivity. And in captivity, God is going to quit speaking to them. God was done showing them kindness. The day of the Lord for Israel would be a day of darkness and a day of grief. God had set the standard. God came as the judge and said, you've not met the standard, so justice. Praise God, there's an Amos chapter 9. For in Amos chapter 9, justice meets mercy and grace. I'm going to ask that if you're able, you'd stand in honor of, of God's word as I read it here this morning. Amos chapter 9. The, the inspired prophet writes, I saw the Lord standing beside the altar and he said, Strike the capitals until the thresholds shake and shatter them on the heads of all the people. And those who are left of them I will kill with the sword. Not one of them shall flee away, not one of them shall escape. If they dig into Sheol, from there shall my hand take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on top of Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them. And if they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent, and it shall bite them. And if they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword, and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. The Lord God of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts, and all who dwell in it mourn, and all of it rises like the Nile and sinks again like the Nile of Egypt, who builds his upper chambers in the heavens and founds his vault upon the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name. Are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? Did I not... <clears throat> Excuse me. Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from Kaftor, and the Syrians from Kerr? Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground, except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among the nations as one shakes with a sieve. But no pebble shall fall to the ground. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say disaster shall not overtake or meet us. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. 
They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. And we thank you that it is for us. So God, help us, help us, Lord. Help us understand it. Help us believe it. And then use it to make us who you'd have us to be. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. This final chapter in the prophecy of Amos is where the justice of God encounters mercy and grace. Justice meets mercy and grace. And we see that first, however, we need a restatement of justice, is how the chapter begins. In verses 1 through 4, we learn again that God's justice is a sure thing. God is the God of justice. We have the Lord standing by the altar. That's the scene. Now, that could be the Lord standing by the altar in Jerusalem and roaring forth like in chapter 1 toward Israel. But I think given the setting, I think what we have is the Lord standing next to the false altar in Bethel. Bethel's ground zero for the false religion of Israel. It is where they are worshiping false gods and faking it before the Lord. So the Lord has entered enemy territory, and he is certainly not there to praise them. He's there to clean house. And the symbolism is ripe. At the center of Israel's false religion, the Lord stands and he commands that it all be brought down on her head. Verse 1 makes it clear that their destruction is sure. The Lord by the altar says, Strike the capitals until the thresholds shake and shatter them on the heads of the people. Those that are left I'll kill with the sword. None shall flee away, none shall escape. Nobody will escape the punishment of the Lord. The justice of the Lord reaches all the people who have earned that justice. And then God reinforces his point with five if-then statements. Right? That's a little math nerd stuff I threw in there, if-then statements. Never mind. Um, but he reinforces, he says, says, if they dig into Sheol, so if they go all the way to the place of the dead, there my hand will have them. If they climb to heaven, I'm going to bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Mount Carmel, I will search them out there and take them. If they hide at the bottom of the sea, I'll just send the serpent and it'll bite them. If they go to captivity before the enemies, I'll strike them down there with the sword. God says, my, my eye is on them to do this evil, not to do good. You know, in, in Psalm 139, David talks about, using similar language, about how he can take comfort. Because no matter where he goes, to the place of the dead, to the heaven, no matter where he goes, God sees him. And David takes comfort in that. But David can do that because David has a heart after God. David's heart is given to covenant keeping, whether he's perfect or not. His heart is there. Israel, on the other hand, has a heart for covenant breaking. And so the fact that God sees them no matter where they go means one thing. It means no escape from the judgment of God. Omnipresence means no escape. You know, I watched a ridiculous movie a couple weeks ago. It's a Sunday afternoon nap movie. I choose them with care, right? But sadly, sleep never came, and I saw the whole thing. It was, a, it was an end times movie with no 
with, it wasn't a Christian end times, it wasn't even a religious end times movie. It's about the Chinese use all those microchips they put in everything we own to shut down the country and come take over the country, right? It was, it was, it was bad, really low budget, bad. But, but what if, let me just ask you this, what if it was prophecy and it was true and you knew it? What if you knew that, say, March 15th, the Chinese were going to take over this nation and rule this nation with an iron communist hand? What would you do differently today if you knew that was coming? If you knew they were going to shut down everything so they could just swoop in and take over? What would you do? Do you understand that is exactly the situation Amos put Israel in? He said, God's justice is sure. It is coming. You will be killed, taken into captivity, into the word. You're going to be de-Israelized. There will be no more you like you knew. You know what's going to happen. And what did Israel do? What did they do with that knowledge? Well, the false prophet, chapter 8, just came and said, oh, don't worry about it. He's just troubling you. And the Old Testament tells us over and over that what they did is they just kept sinning like they were sinning. They had, they had the knowledge it was coming. They had time to get right with God. Because understand this. If you're going to die and you know you're going to die, it's a good time to get right with God. If you're going to be taken captivity to a pagan land, even though you know it's going to happen, it's a good time to get right with your God. And they had the time to do it. But they didn't. This knowledge did not lead them to repentance. The question is really, though, not about Israel. It's about us. It's about us. The movie was fake. But the reality is the Bible does tell us that there are last days coming when God will come and he will judge the wicked. It says so. It is sure. It is true. There will be a judgment and quite honestly, if you look at the moral decline of our culture and how that is seeping into the church, I wonder if God has not already started to judge. Because God gives people over to false teaching. That is judgment. And so I wonder if it hasn't started. But so, like Israel, we know it will come. We think maybe it maybe has started to come. We know that. The question is, what are you going to do? What will you do with that? Will you let that open your eyes to see your sin and lead you to repentance? Or will you just merrily walk off in your sin into the judgment? We know it will come. They did nothing good with it when they knew it would come. Question is, what will we do with the fact that one day God will come and will judge the wicked? What will we do? God's justice is a sure thing. And then God tells us why God's justice is a sure thing. God's justice is a sure thing because God is God. Because God is holy and sovereign. His justice is a sure thing. That's what 5 to 7 are telling us, those verses. First four verses, judgment is coming. 5, 6, and 7, here's why. Because God is God. He's, he's the creator God, right? I mean, he talks about all these things God does. He can touch it, it melts. He can, he can, he can judge the creation, and the creation has to, has to cave in when he judges it. 
He can melt mountains. He can bring death and grief. He can change the seasons. His throne room is in the heavens, and, and he can treat the earth as a storehouse. He defines the boundaries of oceans and rivers and streams. He is the creator God. He can do whatever he pleases. And he's also the covenant God. The one who said, Israel, you're mine, is also the creator God. So they're the same. He's the one who said, I, we, we have this relationship, Israel. Here's how it'll be perfect and wonderful and good. Set the standard. And now he's come as the judge and he's found them wanting. You see, because God is God, he is perfectly holy, perfectly just, perfectly sovereign, and there is no escape from the justice of a God like that. Israel thought they were safe, right? We've seen that in the past chapters. They thought they were safe because, you know, hey, we're the people he brought out of Egypt into the promised land. He won battles for us. He got us from here to the good place. He established us. But according to verse 7, Israel has no claim on God. No claim on God. God asks, are you, just not, are you not like the Cushites to me? Cushites are pagans, whatever else they are, right? Are you not like the Cushites? Did I not bring Israel from the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Kaphtor to the Syrians of Kerr? What God is saying is, look, I move nations around all the time. I've done that. Every nation that exists on this earth is there because I put it there. Is what God says. So if you think you're special because you were in Egypt, now you're in the promised land, ha. You're nothing more than Cushites. Now, Israel actually was special. But they weren't special because they'd experienced that. They were special because God, because God made a covenant with them. They were special because God had loved them and given them good promises. Sadly, that covenant is exactly what they trampled underfoot in their false worship and their injustice. Their whole history, since the day the kingdom split, it had been false worship and injustice. And now, God says... You thought you were special because of some geographical thing. You were special because of covenant thing. The geographical thing doesn't make you special, and you've kicked the covenant thing to the curb. God's telling Israel, you're in the camp of the Cushites now. I'm looking at you just like, remember the first part of Amos, he judged all the other nations. God says, I'm looking at you just like them. Friends, we are the new covenant people of God as the church, the body of Christ. But we, we better take care that we do not fall into the way of thinking that God condemned in Israel. Israel thought being loosely associated with the true religion of the old covenant was enough to be on God's side. They thought that he would be appeased by their family ties and their rituals. What they found was that their security was in the trappings of a right relationship instead of a right relationship, and they weren't going to be safe. The question is, are we not tempted to do a lot the same as Israel did? Are, are we not tempted to look at our name on the membership roll or look at our regular church attendance or 
think about our ritual quiet time at home every morning and think, we must be pretty good standing with God. Look at all, all I got going. Meanwhile, our actual relationship with him languishes. We don't feel any actual love toward God. We don't long to be in his presence and gathered with his people. We don't see our sin and let sorrow for our sin drive us to actually repent of sin. We let the fear of man keep us from speaking the name of God and sharing the gospel in the public square. All the while we say, we're the Christians, we're the people of Christ. Friends, the New Testament tells us these words in the Old Testament are there for our example. We dare not think that going through the motions is enough to make us safe with the Almighty God. It is all about a relationship where God made a covenant with you, and you're only in that relationship where God made a covenant with you if your faith is in Jesus Christ. Not in some one-time experience you had, but your faith is in Jesus Christ today. That you really believe today that the sins of this week were covered by the blood of Christ shed on the cross. You really trust Him for your tomorrow. Let's not be like Israel. Let's heed the example. God's justice is a sure thing because God the judge is holy and sovereign. Even so... There is going to be a rescued remnant. I knew I was going to trip all over that. Rescued remnant. That's the message of verses 8 and 10. Verse 8 is a familiar sounding judgment by Yahweh. The eyes of the Lord Yahweh are upon the sinful kingdom and I will destroy it. But it ends with an uncharacteristic so far word of hope. Right? God says, I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob. Wow. I mean, we haven't seen a word like that, a word of hope, since chapter 5 of Amos, where verse 15, it says, it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to a remnant of Jacob. And God here says, I'm not going to utterly destroy all of his. There will be a remnant. There will be some left. And that remnant shows up again in verse 9. This time it's an illustration God gives. It's like a sieve or a strainer. And God says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this big gob of dirt and rocks and put it in the, the sieve and we're going to shake it real good and the dirt's going to fall to the ground the rocks stay in the strainer. And what he's saying is that, that there's this soil that will fall to the ground and that's the sinners who say, oh, don't worry, disaster will never come on us. We're fine. Those are going to be like the dirt that goes through as it's shaken and falls to the ground and is trampled on. But the pebbles that remain, that remain in, in the hands of their God, they're the ones who are in, in, in relationship with the God who holds the sieve. What God is saying, look, in this process, everybody's got to go through the process of judgment. In this time of judgment, I will show mercy. Some will not fall to the ground. Now the judgment that will fall on Israel is severe, right? It's going to be the end of the nation. There will be the death of many, those who foolishly care, God would never do that. And tens of thousands of them are going to be dragged into captivity, if you remember chapter 4, dragged into captivity with hooks in their lips. 
right? But God says, but I will save some. I will save some. He's going to separate out during the day of judgment some, and he will rescue them from his judgment. Friends, that is mercy. That is mercy. It's not justice. Because all of Israel deserved justice and judgment. Judgment was pronounced on the whole nation. No one can claim innocence according to what Amos has already said. Think about this. Israel's bad kings earned judgment. Israel's phony priests and prophets earned judgment. Israel's unjust, wealthy, and powerful earned judgment. The phony worshipers, which was Israel, earned judgment. The violent and the sexually immoral earned judgment. We've seen all that already. Everybody earned judgment. But God is going to show mercy. He's going to show mercy to some. Some would keep the covenant name of Jacob alive, Israel. They would be spared. Friends, just like Israelites in that day were utterly dependent on mercy, we are utterly dependent on mercy today. The New Testament is clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 Judgment comes to sinners. And everybody's a sinner. Baptist faith and message is our church's statement of faith. And it says judgment will come. I mean, we've, we agree on this statement. God in his own time and in his own way will bring the world to its appropriate end. According to his promise, Jesus Christ will return personally and visibly in glory to the earth. The dead will be raised and Christ will judge all men in righteousness. That means the righteous judge judges sinful men. And the unrighteous will be consigned to hell, the place of everlasting punishment. That's not good news. If all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the standard is the glory of God, then we all deserve the unrighteous will be consigned to hell, the place of everlasting punishment. But the Baptist faith and message does continue. I'm glad that's not our whole statement of faith. It says the righteous in their resurrected and glorified bodies will receive their reward and dwell forever in heaven with the Lord. I am glad for that, that there are some who will be resurrected into glorified bodies and be forever with the Lord. But my question is this, how can it say the righteous will? Right? Fall of sin and fall short of the glory of God. How can it say the righteous will receive that? How can anyone be called righteous? It's a really good question. And Amos has an answer. That's the next point. God's justice is a sure thing because the judge is holy and sovereign. Even so, there will be a rescued remnant because of God's covenant faithfulness. Because of God's covenant faithfulness. Amos ends with a boatload of hope. I mean, the, the, it is hard to really, as a matter of fact, if you're a skeptical Old Testament scholar, you say there's no way Amos wrote these last few words. No, he, he couldn't have written them. He's all about judgment. He can't be this guy. I mean, if you just don't get the whole message of the Bible, he can't be that guy. Uh, verses 11 to 15, Amos reveals... Along with mercy, punishment removed, comes much grace, undeserved blessings. 
Verse 11, he says, In that day, that last day, I will raise up the booth of David that's fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Now what Amos is saying there, and just kind of put it together quickly, God is going to restore the kingdom promised to David. He's keeping the covenant promise that he made to David that there would be a kingdom of peace and prosperity ruled by a righteous king forever. God is going to keep his promise, is what he's saying here. So in that day, the day of the Lord, the day there's going to be judgment on Israel, according to earlier in Amos, on that day, God is going to keep his covenant promise on that day. And there's more, though. Restoring the house or the kingdom of David happens as it was in days of old. And that's really good news if you're that northern kingdom of Israel. Because you might hear this restoring the house of David and think that's only Judah. Because the, the kings of Israel were not the sons of David. They, were, they, were, they weren't the line of David. The kings of Judah, give or take, were the sons and line of David. So you might hear that and think, no, no. But he's going to restore it as in the days of old, all of them together again. He's going to bring them all, to, he's going to unite them as one again. So the answer to the question how can there be a remnant as Israel is judged, which kind of goes to our question, how can anybody be called righteous if all have sinned? It's right here. Because God made a promise to David. God made a covenant with David, and God keeps his covenant promises. So God is going to work out a way for this kingdom to come. But that's not the only covenant in view here. Because he says in the last part of verse 12, I think that, that God is going to also fulfill his Abrahamic covenant here. You see, when God restores this kingdom, they're going to possess two groups. They're going to possess, first of all, the remnant of Edom, and second, all the nations who are called by my name. Now, Edom is always, in the Old Testament, especially the prophets, people who hate God and his people, right? Somehow there's going to be a remnant of Edom involved in this new kingdom. Somehow God's going to get a people out of them. And in fact, they're also going to, this kingdom is also going to possess all nations will have people who are called by my name. Do you see that? So this kingdom that's promised to David is not just a Jewish thing. It's going to include Edomites and people from all nations. See, this is just like we read what will happen at the end of the book. When we open Revelation and, and we read in chapter 5 and chapter 7 that in that last day gathered around the throne of God there will be people from every tribe, language, people, and nation glorifying the Lamb. And that's what Amos is saying. That God is keeping a promise, a covenant promise he made to David of this great kingdom, but also the covenant promise he made to Abraham that through Abraham all the nations of the earth would be blessed. God is saying, look, I'm going to save people, but not just from you, Israel. I'm going to save people from all the nations. And they will be part of this great, glorious kingdom that I promised to David. And, and what kind of kingdom is that going to be? Well, one thing we read here, it's going to be forever. It is going to be a forever kingdom. 
This mercy and grace is going to last forever. So as judgment comes and mercy and grace come along with it, the mercy and grace last forever. The judgment's for, for, forever for those who are judged forever, but so is the grace. And it's going to be an awesome kingdom. And, and I'm trying to wrap up quickly. Sorry, Sunday school teachers. I'll apologize ahead of time. It's going to be an awesome kingdom. The, the, the plowman will overtake the reaper. The treader of grapes the sower of, will overtake the sower of seeds. In other words, there's going to be so much harvest that you won't be able to get it all out of the field before you've got to have somebody in there planting again. It's going to be that good a crop. The mountains are going to drape sweet wine and the hills shall flow with it. Nature's bounty is going to overwhelm you. The ruined cities will rebuilt, be rebuilt so you have a good place to live. The, the people will have bountiful crops. They'll be in the land of promise and they'll never be uprooted again, it says. Now, now we know a couple things. We know that this has never happened yet, right? If you know Israel's history, it's never happened Ezra and Nehemiah may have led Israel back into the land, but guess what? Israel got uprooted again. Otherwise, there'd never been that whole 1948 if they'd already been here, right? Uh, speaking of 1948, there's a national nation called Israel in the land again. But, but you tell me if that nation has anything to do with the Israel that God promises here. It's a secular state with no temple. It, it, hardly a nation at peace, right? So the promised peace in the all people's kingdom of God has not come to pass yet. So the question is, will it? Or was God just being hyperbolic and you know, overstating things a little bit? Well, this is where Acts 15 helps us. In Acts 15, the Gentiles have believed, and everybody's going, how can the Gentiles believe? Don't we need to make them Jewish first? And and Peter and, and all the apostles get together and they work through that. And James issues a statement in Acts chapter 15. And in verse 13, what James says is, and they finish speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon is related, that's Peter, how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophet agree. And then he quotes Amos. He quotes Amos. So in Acts 15, James says, all that stuff Amos promised has happened to us today when the gospel came and the Gentiles believed. So Amos is being fulfilled right now, right in this room. I mean, raise your hand if you're Jewish. Yeah, but Jews wouldn't say you are, so it doesn't count. Um, right? Right? So the fact that you believe means Amos's words are coming true right now. That's what James says in the New Testament. You are the beginning of every tribe, language, people, and nation that will gather before the throne of God. This is so good. This is the reason to get excited. The great kingdom promise of Amos is evident in you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And, and, and if you think, think that is awesome, but I, I, I don't know that I'm part of that. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, and you can be. Trust in him as the one who died on the cross to forgive you of your sins, and you can be. So what have we seen in Amos 9? 
We've seen that God justice is a sure thing because God is a holy and sovereign God. But we, we also are, 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 we see the remarkable truth that because he's a covenant-keeping, loving God, mercy and grace are true as well. There is mercy and there is grace because of God's covenant faithfulness. You know, when I preach, I pray God will give you three things. Understanding that you'll get what Amos is saying. Belief that you'll believe the message of Amos. And that God will give you a passion to live differently because you believe. So I'll make you this offer. If you didn't understand, get with me. We'll study it some more. If you don't believe, I'd love to talk to you because there's more. You know, as a... As the book said, the evidence does demand a verdict. And, and, and if you think you can understand and believe and not be changed by it, I'd love to talk to you too, because the Bible says that's not true. So, so do that. So, so that's what I pray for every day, but I want to offer you this. I want to offer you a word of encouragement as I close. Read your Bible. And read the Old Testament too. Read the Old Testament, read the prophets, suffer through the words of judgment and let them drive you to the cross so that your sins can be forgiven because you deserve judgment too. Suffer through the words of judgment and then rejoice like crazy when you read the words of promise that come with mercy and grace and forgiveness and hope. Let the words of judgment renew your heart so you can look forward to the day when Jesus comes and makes all things new and this glorious kingdom that has begun in the church will be a kingdom that you can see with your eyes, a kingdom that you will feel because you will no longer even be tempted to sin and there will be no sin anywhere and, it, and you will live in the presence of the Lord. Read the word of God, find the hope and joy that is in its pages. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your word because it's true. Thank you for your word because I need it. Lord, help us. Help us to heed the example of Israel and help us to trust that you are a covenant-keeping God, that you keep your promises, including the promise that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, I pray that if there's one here this morning who has not placed their faith in Christ, that today would be the day they would believe and be saved. And Lord, I pray for your people. I pray that, it, that, that my brothers and sisters in Christ would see the beauty of the fact that you are a God who keeps his covenant promises. I pray that they would see the, the, the beauty of those promises and that they would rejoice and make much of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Todd's going to lead us in our closing hymn, and as he does, I would just ask you to deal with God's word, and if you need to do